Good morning. Can you hear me okay? I'm not used to this sport, sports announcer kind of setup here, so <laughs> let's pray. Oh, great God of heaven, Father, please watch my mouth that nothing false would be taught. Thank you for your word in which we are not left in the dark about who you are and how, what you expect of your people. Father, I pray that as we work through Exodus in, the, in these previous weeks and into weeks to come and today, that the consistency of your miraculous works and who you are won't become something that is dull and boring and able to be glossed over, but we will recognize that each one of these things are to grab our attention and cause us to live differently. Thank you, Father. It's a great privilege to stand before you this morning. Um, Typically, I'm not a great public speaker. I'll warn you of that. (laughs) I fumble over my words and forget things. Um, But push me aside, push, um, you know, the speaker aside, and we'll look at Exodus And again, it's in the stream of consistent, awesome things that God has done. And we we need that consistency, right? Who here would enjoy a shower that only shot water out, like here and there? It would be miserable, right? Or if you flick the lights on and the lights kind of flicker. No, right? We 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 would seek to fix that. That would be a problem. And in like manner, as we read the Word of God, and we see this constant flow of who he is, his, the miracles all throughout history and then out of scripture, church history, and even into our own lives, we see the greatness of God. Don't get bored with that. It doesn't make sense. And your flesh wants to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to Home Depot after church today to do such and such, right? And if I speak today in a manner that seems forthright or maybe condescending or assuming Please know I'm speaking to you as a fellow human. I'm cut from the same cloth that you are. Um, So having said all that, I thank you for the privilege of speaking, and I do so under the elders of of our fellowship this morning, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, Last week, David um, started off chapter 17 of of Exodus and uh, did so very well. But I wanted to back up a a bit. Um, I didn't really know where to back up to because there's so many things that you can recount that the Lord has done, I mean, all the way back to creation. But for the sake of of our our context this morning, we'll stay in Exodus. And if just to be reminded, in chapter 13, God led his people out of Egypt towards the Red Sea. And they were, as the text says, that they were equipped for battle, all right? Um, but God led them particularly uh, to, to travel both day and night, a pillar, by, um, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar by f- fire at night. So they're, they're traveling perpetually. Awesome, awesome experience. And as we roll over these things, again, don't gloss over them. Can you imagine this? Uh, 
can't remember which David that mentioned it, but like it's pro- you know, probably close to a million and a half people here we're talking about. And so there, it had to be a, a sizable cloud and a sizable fire that this can be seen and, and navigated with. Chapter 14, God purposefully instructs Moses to encamp the people in a place where the pursuing Egyptian army would find them. And, and the people complained and they were fearful. And this is kind of like our first introduction of the typical response of God's people, though miraculous things have already been taking place. And he, they're in a place where um, the Egyptian army is pursuing. God, uh, however, God, through Moses, opens the Red Sea, allowing the people to cross, but then releases the walls of water back onto the Egyptian army. Again, astounding, right? In chapter 15, Moses sings a song unto the Lord, recounting his wondrous works of protecting his people from Egypt forever. This is a beautiful thing. We, we were discussing this morning in a men's gathering um, the beauty and in the, in the, the, really the properness of men singing and, and singing boldly and loudly and leading our families and such. And we see a man here properly responding to poetry and song in light of what God has done. And it's just an awesome thing. And then the second part of 15, the people travel on for three more days and found no water until they came to the pool of Mara. They couldn't drink the, the bitter water, but miraculously, um, God miraculously sweetened the water. Um, he then took them to a place with 70 palm trees and 12 springs of water, signifying, his, um, signifying that he will continue his promise um, to provide for the 12 tribes and the 70 that, eventual, that, that came to Egypt under Joseph. Um, chapter 16, God provides manna or bread from heaven in the midst of their complaining and desire to turn, return to Egypt. And remember that um, as we discuss our passage today. We turn to uh, Exodus chapter 17. And I'll read the text. We're going to begin in verse 8. Please uh, stand for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Exodus chapter 17, starting verse 8, and we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for, us and go, uh, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joseph did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. Uh, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they, did, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So Hur's hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You can take a seat, please. I failed to mention that the first part of, of 17 was last week where God miraculously um, provided, the second time, provided water for his people. And we saw that, the, that though God instructed Moses to strike the, the rock that followed them, there's a direct connection in First uh, Corinthians 10 um, that that is referencing Christ, that though people were rebellious and grumbling, complaining, God pour, God poured himself out for his people, and it's an exact picture of Christ. Again, an awesome thing. Um, so the second part of 17, where we'll begin, God's people have enemies, and there's many ex- examples. We have examples of this in the Old Testament. Um, there's physical en- enemies in the New Testament, usually political, but the worst enemy, I feel personally, in and of myself, is my own sinful nature. Um, constantly at war to detract my mind. Sometimes when the Bible talks about the heart, um, it is, it's not necessarily speaking of the, the thing in your chest that's pumping life through your blood or through your veins. It's speaking of your mind, right? So it's, it's all about what's going on up here. Um, Amalek is, is kind, of a, kind of an interesting um, people group the only thing that the Bible gives us about them is that they um, are most likely the descendants of Esau, and they were kind of ticked off about the birthright, something about how that works, and so it's kind of a multi-generational thing with them that there's just, this is what they're taught, and so you hate God's people, and they went and attacked. Um, The scriptures say that they did not honor God, and yet God saw fit to just kind of hold them in a perpetual state of disgrace um, and keep them as enemies, which we, we will see. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 19. Um, th- in that passage in Deuteronomy, we read that um, the Amalekites, uh, again, just to catch us up, the God's people had escaped the Egyptians, they're out in the wilderness, and the the Egyptian army had just been crushed by the water and God provided uh, water and food and then they find themselves in this place where they've just got done grumbling and yet now they're being pursued by, um, by the Amalekites. And this is their, like, post-Egypt, this is the first war that they um, encountered, the first enemy. And if, when we go back and we read that when they first left Egypt, they were equipped for war. But they were in an attitude of, like, uh, grumbling against God, unbelief, bitterness, and, and distrust. And they were probably pretty fatigued. So the Amalekites had an approach of sneaking up on, like, kind of the tail end of God's people as they're moving, finding the weakest, finding the most vulnerable, finding the ones that are just like, oh, I don't want to keep going. And, those, and so it was a problem. And just as a side note, I mean, that's exactly how uh, the Bible depicts Satan. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We've all seen those documentaries of how lions 
sneak up on their prey. There's technique, there's strategy involved, there's sneakiness, there's subtlety. And uh, we have to be made aware of these things. Um, so yeah, they, in verse 8, God's people have enemies. Verse 9 says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Um, Moses' response, this is, really, this is really a beautiful thing. Moses has re- responded in faith that took action. And sometimes, um, if you're like me, you're tempted to kind of separate the two. That practical action really has nothing to do with, with faith. Faith is just like how much emotion or prayer you can just muster up but not really get physically involved. Um, both of those things are important, but we see the perfect marriage of the two here. Um, Moses did not sit back and expect God to give them victory, um, though this is what he's basically done all along. This is the first time that God actually uses his, his people to bring victory. He told Joshua to be discerning and go and find good men to fight. Um, this next section I, I really think is, is really neat and refreshing because in light of how the people of God have, have been responding so far, um, we see this guy, it's the first, the first appearance of Joshua. Um, so taking practical action is spiritual if it is God's will. This is why we must keep in step with the Spirit. Um, excuse me. Um, notice also, too, that there really isn't any mention um, well, well, we'll get to that later, sorry. The lifted up staff is a sign of God's power and victory. The men fought under this power. Um, the staff signified the, the Lord's presence. And if you go back to Exodus chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 5, it says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to, to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Uh, th- this is God calling Moses and um, just giving Moses instruction. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand again, that they might believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And again, in Exodus 9, 23, um, this is at the, uh, at the Red Sea that we've already mentioned, or excuse me, the um, part of the judgment on Egypt while they were still there. And Moses stretched out his rod towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground and the Lord rained hail on Egypt. Dear Christian, let's just stop. I've been uttering some really crazy things, haven't I? I don't mean that in a disrespect to the word of God. I mean it in all honor to the word of God. We have a guy that after 400 years was called out by God to go and get his people, redeem his people out of Egypt under slavery. This whole process is a foreshadowing of 
of Christ to come to redeem a people, right? So we have these awesome parallels. But we're talking about God empowering himself through a, through a staff, through a rod, to bring fire and hail at the same time crashing down from heaven to make a wall to go through the Red Sea and then to bring that wall back down to crush on your enemies behind you, to sweeten water that was bitter. Man, this is, like, don't just gloss this over. Really stop and, and think. And think that we, when we pray, we're praying to the same God. Uh, verse 10 So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, with Moses, uh, while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Um, For me, when I read this, uh, there was a sense of joy in my heart because up to this point, there was the typical response of God's people beyond the elders was disobedience, distrust, anger, backbiting, slandering Moses, wishing to go back to Egypt. But what does, what does Joshua do? He obeys. And the Bible doesn't tell us any other, his, his inner feelings. It doesn't tell how he obeyed in the sense of like what, you know, what he was feeling at the time or what he was thinking. He just obeyed. And that was very refreshing. And as we pick up on these different little hints of of what God has done through his people, reflect these things into your own life. Um, and we will dissect them a little bit more later. Do you believe or recognize that God has placed over you uh, protection and nourishment and seek to honor God by following um, the leadership of your elders? Um, Joshua was a leader in the sense that he was to lead the army. But uh, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron were, it's my understanding, above him. And Moses had the the hand of God on his life to lead the people. And again, I don't want to just kind of keep harping on this, but it's important. When you come to fellowship here, and when you're fellowshipping with with the members of this church throughout the week, is there an inner sense of God has provided godly men to lead me. And I want to, in a proper sense, submit my life to that because you're not submitting your life to them. I'm, I want to be clear about that. You're submitting your life to the process and to the, to the structure and to the framework in which God has designed. They are not perfect, um, but it is how, how God has designed it. So there's a level of... Um, interacting with that and asking yourself, what is my attitude towards my elders? Obedience takes courage. Uh, The text, as I mentioned, the text doesn't suggest that uh, Joshua was sheepish and doubtfully apprehensive. He simply obeyed. Um, Does your belief in the power of God cause you to obey confidently or quickly rather than a, like a silly, spineless little twit <laughs> um, that's put off by every hard, and, uh, hard thing and act as though there is no God. Um, again, when, as I mentioned earlier, when I'm speaking these things, I'm speaking to you about the, the, the trials and the struggles of my life. And I can think of uh, families and individuals right now in this room that have gone through greater things in terms of trials 
than I have. So I'm, I'm not trying to speak as someone who has gone through everything and knows everything. I'm speaking as a fellow Christian, um, two fellow Christians. As, as we read these things, 2 Corinthians 13.5 uh, says, uh, Paul writes, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail to meet the test? We, because of Christ, have the power of God in our lives. But dear Christian, your church member, is that, is that true? Is that properly reflected in how you live? Um, is there within you a desire to be holy and unto the Lord? Or are you indifferent, only acting properly when others are around, but when you are alone, you love your carnality? Um, I guess... I don't have anything more to say other than, you know, in terms of that, I'll let the Holy Spirit do the work. I don't want to just kind of keep harping on the same thing. Again, push distraction aside and ask yourself these things. Um, verses 11 through 12. So, so we have Joshua obeying and finding men to fight. And then it says, whenever Moses held up his hand, remember Moses and Aaron and Hur um, are up on a hill above the battle scene. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one side and on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Um, God proves his power, but does it as to still re reveal man's weakness. Um, it is part of God's plan of working th through his people to maintain the weakness of the flesh um, as, as to properly ref reflect his strength. Uh, Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians uh, 12, 7 through 10. Let's turn there, please. Uh, Paul is speaking here in uh, giving reason for why God has allowed a thorn in his flesh, a trial, as to keep him humble. Verse 7 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times um, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I th personally believe that this is a beautiful picture of what we're reading about with Moses. Um, but dear Christian, is, is this your perspective as you live your Christian life? Is this your understanding? Is this my understanding? Um, do not become conceited. 
Um, God used Moses, yes, um, but he also maintained his weakness as to uh, make sure that only he, he got the glory. That is God. Um, just another question to ask ourselves, are, are you creative in, in supporting a fellow believer as he carries out the work of the Lord? Perhaps you believe this is unspiritual as if to say, um, you know, like perhaps like a family is um, deciding to, you know, go on the mission field or um, it could be anything, right? And maybe you say, well, that's the pastor's job to, to pray with these people to support. I, I don't know. It, you have to be creative um, as a believer to look, you know, to seek out to encourage um, The church's health and victory is measured by the hard work of prayer. Um, prayer is hard, and Moses, is, Moses needed support to channel God's power. We're going to uh, carry on to verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And God, it says here that God gave victory. Um, it is seen amongst his people, and they, they knew the staff symbolizes God's presence. And this is really neat here. The staff is the power of God that we look to um, like Christ. But, um, excuse me. Um, do we recognize the victories and provisions given by God? Are we thankful? Look yonder at the rod. That's, that's the whole idea. As um, as Christians, as God's called out ones, we have enemies, we have trials, but are, are we looking to Christ, that, that rod? Um, it's, it's almost like this. Joshua is, our con- is a, like kind of a, a foretype of, of Christ, right? He's on the ground with, with us right at the head of battle um, and causing us victory, right? And then, um, but like up in... Up above us, we have the power of God, the staff over us. Um, when God gives us these victories, what is your response in these trials? Um, I can, sometimes you can see the proper response by looking at the, at the, at the evil response. And so let's turn to, uh, to Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, we can, be, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Oh, dear church. This is, this is the, the unconverted carnal man's response to what God 
has done and to the power of God. And Paul was kind of referencing the natural revelation of his creation here. Um, do, do we recognize God as God and do we have a thankful heart that propels us to, um, to keep living for him? That's the question. Um, Though Israel was fatigued, God was faithful and caused them to prevail. Um, Matthew Henry's commentary on this, I I really like how how beautiful it is. Um, He writes, No doubt it was great encouragement to the people to see Joshua before them in the field of battle and Moses above them upon the top of the hill. Christ is both to us, and I kind of alluded to this before, but Christ is both to us, our Joshua, the captain of our salvation, who fights our battles, and Moses, who is in the upper world, ever living to make intercession, that our faith fail not. Um, Verses 14 through 15. Um, This is... This is pretty, pretty cool, pretty practical. Um, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under, from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of, of the Lord. Let me reread that. It, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, exclamation point, right? The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Um, God knows how his creation is able to learn and remember. How does he do that? He says, write it down. And, and I, from my understanding, this is like the first time where God communicates something and it's written down. I, if I'm wrong, Please tell me afterward, but it's pretty, it's kind of monumental, right? He's like, write this down and recite it to Joshua because he's going to be responsible for passing it on to the next generation and, and following. Um, Moses did not set up a triumphal entry for Joshua after this victory, though that could have happened and was the norm of that day to kind of praise the one who was the forefront of the battle, Right? What did he do? He said, um, he instead builds an altar to God. And we see um, Moses making effort here. And, and I'm sure Joshua agreed. Who gets the glory when there is clear, evident power of God in your life? Victories over sin, um, growth in the Lord, financial uh, gain in order to pay off debt a house to live in. The list goes on and on. Who gets the glory? Are we quick to parade around our earthly reasons, maybe even our own self in a backdoor pride way? I don't know. Um, but no, Moses wanted a, something to be written. He was instructed to write this down and he wanted to build an altar to God because he recognized it was God all along. Um, the ancient term for this is Jehovah Nisi, if I'm, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. The, the Lord is my banner. 
And according to my study of this, I, I'm hoping that this is correct, but this is the main idea. The staff that they looked at to, to in battle was high over them like a banner in order to empower the men to victory. Now, we've already talked about this, but this is kind of, this is part of the ceremonial memorial that Moses is start, that is, he's trying to implement, saying, it's all God. And this, you know, this staff is like a flag. It's over. And this is what we look to. And in our, in our lives as Christians, it is much the same way. The psalmist in Psalm 25 through 9 says, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up your banners. May the Lord fulfill your, your petitions. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from the, his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand up. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when, when we call. Again, in Psalm 60, verses 4 through 5, you have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may um, flee to it from the bow that your beloved ones may be delivered. Give salvation by your right hand and answer us. Um, church, do, do we truly believe this? Let's pause for a second again and reflect upon what we've been reading. Um, these chosen men that Joshua had with him in battle, and they were, they were looking to that rod. They understood that the power of God came through there, and they, and they conquered, and you saw the, the creativity of Aaron and, and her coming alongside Moses to uplift him and encourage him and keep his arms raised. Um, how, does, how does this fare in your life? Do you love you, the, your fellow Christian in the same way? Do you want to see the power of God um, flow through their life? And are you willing to be creative in, in doing that? Um, do you believe it? Or are you okay with just being passive about what it means to be a Christian? Again, to, as to appear okay in certain contexts and in others, you're just completely abandoned from the things of the Lord. Examine yourself. Um, Moses writes these words for, for the encouragement of the people. Whenever the Amalekites would come to them in war, God would again prevail his chosen people. And we see um, the the poetic way that this is um, portrayed here in verse, uh, verse 15, or excuse me, verse 16. A hand upon the throne of the Lord, signifying God's perpetual position of war against the Amalekites. Uh, they were to have, the, God's people, the Israelites, were to have no relations with the Amalekites. Um, no business dealings, no intermarrying, no sense of a plea deal, no truce. Um, and so we, we have, they have this commandment, but they also have this in a sense of a source of encouragement because Moses wrote it down that, hey, God will protect you from the Amalekites. So whenever they were to be harassed again, they knew that God was in control. Um, and we are to follow the same, the same pattern when we see that, that God protects his people um, perhaps we, we chewed on a lot there, and 
but I want to illustrate something now. I hope, hopefully, this makes sense, and I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to use a bicycle in illustration with David Townsend in the room, um, knowing his, his previous uh, job. But anyway, um, I was bike riding with my family in the Quabbin Reservoir, which you guys probably don't know because I'm from Massachusetts, and you guys aren't. Um, anyway, bike riding with the family, typical situation. We're all having fun, and Alexia, um, her bike, the chain fell off. Right? Kind of a, a regular thing when you're biking as a family. It's inevitable. Someone's chain's going to fall off. And I looked into her blue eyes, and I said, and I looked right at her, and, I, and in the most calm voice, I said, Honey, it's okay. You're just going to have to walk your bike. No, I'm just kidding. No, what did I do? I flipped the bike over, right? And the chain is off of the sprockets. It got derailed. It was probably it was just too loose. But I did what I could to get it back onto the gears. And I want us to look at, um, th think about a bicycle chain. I think it's something that we could all relate to at some point in our life. That bicycle chain is made up of individual links that are all connected together. And in like manner, the, like, as we read the scriptures, all the way from in the beginning, God created. And, and you have miracle and after miracle, after wonder, after wonder, after miracle, after, and all the way up until where we are today, this, these connected chains of the greatness of God, the greatness of God, greatness of God, right? And our minds are like that bike sprocket where something happens and it's off. It's not what's driving our heads any longer. It might be there on our lives. We might be able to identify and say, okay, yeah, I, th these are the links and this is who God is and everything. But we've become satisfied with just sitting on our bikes and, not, and these things not truly gripping us as to propel us forward in, in trust and in obedience. Maybe on occasion we'll swing our leg over and just kind of kick around and make it look like we're alive but in reality, those links are not grabbing the gears of our, of our mind. And, um, but my goal today and the goal of Scripture is to have our minds renewed, is it not? And it's God's desire for his people to live differently and to have these things that we're reading about in, both in Scripture and what's going on in our own lives to, again, capture the gears of our mind and, make, and cause us to live differently. Um, turn with me to, to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through Paul writes, for this reason I bow my knee to the Father from whom every family on heaven or others is named according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. In verse 20, 
now to him who is able to do far more abundantly all that we all that we ask or think according to the power that is within us guys who what power is this this is god right to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'll jump over to, to uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians. And, we, and again, we have a um, beautiful parallel here of, of 4 verses 1 through 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Um, I'll just read the rest of the passage. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Guys, um, as God's people, we have been endowed with the same power that we have been reading about in Exodus. To live godly and, and different lives. Um, this is not an impossibility Uh, again, this might be a familiar passage to you, but it was Romans 12, 1 through 2. Uh, Paul, in Romans 12, um, prior to this, is writing all about the gospel and the grace of God and, and under, like, helping us understand what that means, our unrighteousness, God's holiness, what he has done for his people. And then in verse 12, he's, he's like, in response, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, guys, so what we have here, he's like, look, in, in re proper response to the gospel and what God has done for us, we now live a sacrificial life. And part of that sacrificial living is being holy. Um, you say, Aaron, what, what does that mean, living holy? Um, it means living different um, in, in likeness with the character of God, which is going to be in contrast with the unregenerate. Um, it's going to cause us to think differently. What kind of things are, 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 am I allowing in my life that does not look like this? It can be um, your habits, how much time you're on your phone, um, cartoons that have hidden messages in them for your children, um, movies that you yourself watch, um, just, just idleness, right? No, we are to be, the gears of our mind are to be linked to the greatness of God so that everything in our life is, is this holy or is this unholy? 
Um, and in the, in the vagueness, there's a plurality of options for us to, to live for God. Um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Um, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. We have, again, guys, this, we in bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh um, by the circumcision of Christ. Um, it, I, I'm trying to explain, guys. It is possible to live holy. If you're like me, I look at my own self and I, get, and I look at my brother's that I know both in here and back in Massachusetts and stuff, sometimes I get tired of, of hearing like the lack of victorious talk. And I don't mean that as, you know, to be mean towards anyone here. But we have the ability, the scriptures tell us, we have the ability to live holy lives in response to the, God, um, to the power of God in us. So let's not just say, you know, live in this perpetual sense of a derailed train of, or a chain, excuse me, a derailed chain of incompetence. No, God has given us the ability because of him. Um, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of, work, of the working of God who raised him from the dead and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of the lot that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rules and the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Again, it's, it's, it's war language. We're talking about uh, rulers being triumphed, our sin being triumphed over, the ability to say no to ungodliness and to live for godliness, right? So, um, I, I hope that that illustration about the bicycle was, was useful. It's what came to mind for me. Um, maybe I sound like a, I'm just kind of beating the same drum. Well, this is all I have to say. God is awesome, and he has done amazing things and continues to do amazing things. But far be it from me or you to claim that we worship and know this God, but we... the bike chain of our life is derailed and not connected and we're satisfied just kind of limping around um, again let's utilize these passages and believe God's word um, love your local church here and seek to be an encouragement and to be encouraged this is how we get the chain back on right and um, yeah let's pray
God, thank you for um, bringing us all together today under your ancient words that have been preserved for your glory, for our good. Um, help us to love the gospel. Help us to, um, as one man said, preach the gospel to ourselves every day that the chain of our mind will not be derailed. Um, and that because of who you are and what you've done for us, we will have a proper love for you and live proper lives for you. Thank you, Lord.